to another episode of not your average operator with me paul miller mcfadden it's a special q a episode as you probably saw in the show notes it's tio raf everybody's favorite tio and melon how you doing there raf i'm good mate how are you doing man do you know i've it's it's been a period of a lot of uh well i gotta say a lot of introspection and thought and I've been uh, involved in organising. We've got a Remembrance Day uh, memorial coming up on our uh, on, the, on the area where I live, and a few a few of the guys here have taken the lead in organising. I've been a bit involved in that, and that that has really got me thinking. It's it's uh, it's like your Memorial Day. So so the eleventh, the eleventh, um, sort of around the British Commonwealth, so Australia, the UK, Canada, New Zealand, and many other countries. That's like our day for the fallen, you know, and. Uh, I know you know because I've been talking to you about it. But uh, yeah, sort of a, a day of a lot of thought is uh, is coming down on us and we're doing our service here on the 7th just because the weekend here doesn't align. We don't get a, a public holiday. So uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of um, introspection, a lot of gratitude and uh, a bit of sadness as well, to be honest. How about you, mate? How are you going? Uh, man, I'm pretty good. It's just been nonstop with the bean. Uh, and uh, the people that live up on kind of whose property abuts my property, we kind of had a little gathering last night. So I saw a bunch of those folks and I hadn't seen them in a while. So it's been, it's been nonstop. And obviously Halloween was uh, a couple of days. Well, we celebrated Halloween a couple of days ago. So we took uh, the little monkey uh, dressed up as a monster to go uh, torment most of Spokane, uh, collecting some candy. So it was good old wholesome fun, man. It's just, it's been, this is like the stuff you dream about, right? When you're, when you're gone and it's just kind of cool to kind of be in it. You have to pinch yourself. Cause this is what you've been, this is what you, I mean, at least myself, that's what I've been dreaming Absolutely. up whenever I'm away from the family. So to actually be in the middle of it is uh, it's a godsend, man. It's been, it's been, it's been fun. I'm just trying to slow time down a little bit. So you've been doing some of that integration stuff. Yeah, I have, man. As a matter of fact, I've probably logged no exaggeration, seven miles in my, in my own house, just running after Soren because we play this crazy little game where he points at you, grunts, and then he starts hauling ass, uh, you know, away from you. So you basically chase him and throw him onto the bed or tickle him or you know whatever. And it's, I mean, it. We're talking hours, mate. Hours. That's no exaggeration. So it's been kind. Of, I mean, it's been kind of cool because I made a deliberate, conscious effort that no matter what I'm doing, because obviously everything you're doing is important to you at the moment, but. Um, I make it a point, like whether I'm washing dishes or working administrative stuff for work or whatever it is, I'll stop, drop whatever I'm doing, and then I, you know, haul ass after him. And because uh, I, you know, I want to make it a point that he is, he is important to me. So because I know it's it's easy, and I'm not saying I do it all the time, but that's why I made a conscious effort because it's easy to then say, "Hey, I'm busy. I'll get to you in two minutes." You know, so he forces me to like stop whatever adult nonsense I'm doing and just chases ass around the house it's been it's been good man been good living yeah so good so uh well i guess we sort of need to let people know what why uh, our buddy mike is is not here so because uh, he's the worst and we booted him out <laughs> we voted him off the island we extinguished his light yeah just to get torches yeah got no flame on it no so 
Mike has had, uh, you know, he's, he's had a, uh, a family member pass. And so he's had to go and be with his people. And, uh, you know, he's right where he needs to be. He's, he's, he's being the person that the rest of his family can lean on in this time. And uh, I'm sure everyone out there in podcast land, you guys, uh, how you guys get him on the podcast, exactly what he's like in real life is, is no different. So his heart's on his sleeve and uh, in our heart goes out to him and his whole family at this time. And uh, we know he's, he's, he's taking care of business. And so, uh, you know, we felt still uh, obliged to, to put a recording down for, for everyone out there because we know people are in different places. Some people are having a great time. Some people are really doing it tough. And uh, Mike, you know, we're, we're thinking of you, man, and we're, we're wanting to take care of our responsibilities while you're away with your family. And can, can we give his grams a, a shout out? Um, so she's been spoken about on this podcast. Uh, yeah. Mike has actually mentioned some of the things that she had um, imparted on him. And there's a saying that she would always say, and it's the most important things in life aren't things. Uh, yeah. And he, he mentioned this, I can't remember what episode it was, but he brought it up. And so that's, unfortunately, that's the, the person who had passed. So it's obviously someone who's near and dear to him and, and his mother. Um, so that's, that's a really tough thing. But kind of going right into it, him and I had a really good discussion yesterday before he, as literally as he's throwing his stuff in a duffel bag and getting ready for the road trip to head back to his family, we had this conversation about, you know, very like several, actually one of the first podcasts, I think we talked about, it was actually, I do remember, it was masculinity. We talked about, you know, what healthy, positive masculinity, how it's defined. Uh, obviously, we all talked about it in our own opinions, but we all agreed that um, positive masculinity is ultimately the ability to push back against the chaos, right? That's yeah. like when you, when you realize that that's your job. And so Mike and I were having this conversation. I said, you know, this is the chaos that I was referring to. Like you just, you can't control when people pass. You can't control, there's a lot you can control in life, but you can absolutely control the, 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 the calm emotion or the calm demeanor you're going to bring on an occasion where most people will kind of lose their cool, so to speak, and not speaking against that. I'm just saying, I was like, you need to understand that you going there and being there with your family and just being the calm kind of um, not letting your emotions get the best of you and just making the right decisions at the right time and using the right words. If you, I was like, that, that is literally the, the tangible definition of fighting against chaos, right? That's what we do. We stand in ranks and we fight against chaos, you know, cause it, you know, funerals are, can easily spin out of control. People say things that they don't mean because people are hurt. Um, they're in pain. Um, maybe they, didn't have the right words with the person who, who had passed. But um, anyways, I'm, just, I'm yeah. just trying to be a little transparent with what's going on. That, that, that uh, quote, the most important things in life aren't things. I was talking to him as well. And uh, when, when his grams passed, he, he was up on a mountain. You know, he'd gone out with one of his buddies. And they were hiking at the top of a mountain somewhere. And uh, having deep conversations like this, you know, really helping someone through a hard time, chewing over some uh, some tough stuff and bringing that calmness that he, he brings. And, you know, his phone was off and he got back down the bottom of the mountain and 
and, and was called by his, his brother to let him know, but he was manifesting the very thing that his grams valued the most, you know, and I said to him, you could have been, you could have been online shopping for shoes and that'd be a memory, you know, you've just been doing the opposite, but he, you know, and, and, and just imagine what she must've thought of, of him having a, a, a gorilla like that for a grandson. You know, you've, you've raised a, a wolfhound in the family who's, who's really a protector and, uh, you know, and he's, and he's gone back there to take care of what he needs to do. But I mean, I know that that was a special, special relationship you have with her. Yeah. So again, just, just shout out to, uh, to Grams and we've heard a lot about her and, uh, we know that she's a better place. So, uh, having talked a little bit about Mike's situation, uh, you know, things happen and not singularities. So my mom had, what uh and i'm not a medical expert here my wife really is so she's probably going to beat me up over the terms that i'm going to use but essentially i'll just call it a heart attack my mom had a second episode uh in the span of i want to say about six months um very very fortunate that she did not pass um just a quick rundown <laughs> her version at least was she felt fine she it was early, it was kind of late in the morning, getting her day started. She was, uh, the phone rang, so she was walking towards the, the kitchen to grab the phone. I think they're one of the last households in California that actually has a landline. Uh, and so she goes and she's reaching for the phone and she suddenly just starts like sweating nonstop. And she's got this impending feeling on her chest, almost like an elephant sitting on her chest. And, and she says the pain is excruciating to the point where she just, like looked at the couch, uh, starts walking towards the living room and doesn't make it. So she just takes a seat on the floor. Seconds, maybe a minute after this is going on, like, mind you, now she's sitting like in the living room, kind of looking towards the kitchen area and hoping that this passes. But I think she's getting a, a feeling that it might not. Um, one of my sisters just happens to walk in uh, on her cell phone and doesn't notice my mom sitting on the ground and just... And then eventually goes like stops and realizes like what my mom's on the ground. So she looks and she's like, you okay? And she's like, no, I, I don't think I'm okay. And then obviously after that, she kind of told her what she was feeling and they rushed her to the hospital. Um, and uh, mm. they basically immediately sedated her. Uh, and then they, from what I understand, they stopped her heart and then like restarted it so it can have normal palpitations. Again, a lot of terminology. My wife, Aubrey's probably flipping out right now because she's, I'm using things like a, like a dummy, but uh, Essentially, that's what it was. So, wow, man. Yeah. And how, how is she at the moment, Raf? She was, listen, I spoke to her the last time I spoke to her was two days ago. Um, she was in great spirits. She says she feels fine. She's got more, obviously, more appointments with her cardiologist and her primary care physician. Um, so, she's, she's good. She really is. She's, uh, she knows that she's very fortunate. You know, someone was looking out for her. Um, I got you. Yeah. Was there, I gave her scolding. Well, she's just, you know, she's that generation. They're just, they're tough cookies. And it, it's one thing to applaud it, but then other times you're just like, really? Because the whole time I was like, so you you could have grabbed the phone, even if you wanted to take a knee, grab a phone, call 911, and then take a knee. You know what I mean? Like, there's things you could have done to be proactive. Because if my sister had not been there, yeah. I mean, I, let's be honest, she probably wouldn't have made it. So, I just, but that's just that generation. They're just tough as nails, man. Just like, you know what I mean? Just tough as nails. Yeah. The minute I would have sweated one bead of sweat, I would have like called 911. But she, yeah. you know, she'd probably 
been battling this for 30 minutes. So just, it's. It's all those mums got those asbestos hands and stuff as well. You know, they can pick the hot burning stove off the, off the stove yeah. top. <laughs> get that pot in yeah. their hands. Yeah. Well, thank God your sister was there, Raf. Yeah, it was. Uh, so anyways, I'm, I'm trying to plan a trip to go visit them. Uh, it's overdue anyways. Yeah. But just, you know, visit my, my parents and my brother and my sisters. And um, I mean, we're trying to do this before the whole COVID thing happened. Actually, we were already we had already had tickets uh, with my family to go down there and stay with them for a bit. But obviously, coronavirus screwed all that up. So yeah, it's it's tough. It's really tough, especially when you when you got health challenges in the family at the same time. Yeah, but and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. I'm sure we're not the only family, right, that had plans, you know, where they're trying to go see loved ones. And um, yeah. but anyways, that's just uh, hey, it's life, man. That's it's life. That's, that's what's going on for us, right? It's uh, yeah, it's happening. So today we we both said we'd uh, come up with some questions, and we haven't told each other what the questions are. <laughs> So we thought we'd just have a live conversation and, you know, I was, I was going to just ask horrible questions and everyone <laughs> use some Australian four little words and stuff, but I got, I got slapped by the missus. She didn't like that idea. So how about you kick off first, Rav? You got a question for me? I, yeah, I do. And I, the thing is, I don't remember, shoot, I'll just ask you, man, but I don't remember if I, if we had covered this before, what's the first step? that you take when you, when you're the most accomplished in the day, like what, like looking over, you know, your historical data points, when you look back and you're like, man, I remember this day was like super like, you know, maybe you're in the Hornet course or whatever. Like it doesn't have to be professionally. It can even be uh, like with Chesa, with the family where you like, you legitimately did something and you felt absolutely accomplished. And you're like, that was badass. It to your own standard, right? Who cares what the world thinks? Cause yeah. the world's skewed, but yeah. Yeah. So what's your, What's the first step that usually leads to that to that level of like absolute accomplishment in whatever sense, whether it's personal or, or professional? All right. So the thing that just came to mind while you were talking there was uh, when Annie was in the hospital when she was prim, and uh, you know there was some there were some really dark days for her, and she she had a, a number of near death experiences, really very horrendous stuff. You know, blood oxygen saturation below fifteen percent and stuff like legally dead many times and uh at that time i was doing a lot of research and studying her charts and just engaging with the doctors and putting the fear in the past and letting go of it and i've talked about this before it's sort of it's a long it was a long process though and it was real it was every day and and letting go of those things every day and being there in the moment and reading her charts and being on top of things led me one time to call the hospital at midnight because I knew they weighed her at midnight and I got the data that she had uh, lost some weight and the charts had all been filed and they didn't have the previous day's weight. And, and I knew because I was on top of it, I knew she'd just lost just over 10% of her body weight in about three days and none of them knew. And in that moment, I was able to argue to get uh, – you know, blood tests done overnight for her to get bolus fluids. And I was arguing for them to start uh, IV lines as well. She's still at this stage about 10 weeks premature. And anyway, I, I, I know and Cherry knows 
and the director of the uh, neonatal unit knows that she would have died that night. It was, it was a guarantee. And like, that's me at my best, you know, and, and that, what, what, what led to that was, was letting go of the distractions about the past and the fear um, about what was coming up and the regret and resistance for things that had already happened and just staying in the moment, you know, and um, being able to just take that data in, in the moment without distraction, just being present. And uh, you have no ability to affect, to impact the present moment if you're not in it, you know? Yeah. That's, that's, it's crazy because, uh, uh, again, just for podcast land, we have not spoken about any of this. He didn't know what questions I was going to hit him with. And my answer to that is very similar to yours. Right. My best performances are when I completely just destroy any sense of fear or anxiety. Like I might not be good enough. And this is going to sound kind of morbid, but I tried what, and sometimes it's, it's different paths that I, that I take to get here, but I just try to remind myself that, um, that I have an expiration date, you know, that I'm, that I'm going to die, whether it's five minutes from now or five years from now. And that sense of that my time is borrowed just puts this light in my ass. Like it literally just makes like, it's basically like you're already behind the clock. You need to start moving. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's a, it's motivating, man. And I wish I had that every day. And I, I'm going to be brutally honest, man. I'm not like that every day, but I try to be that as, as often as I can. But uh, so it's kind of the same thing where, you know, you want to live in the moment and it's a little different for everybody. But uh, yeah, that's kind of interesting that you said that as you're talking, I was like, wow, that's literally in line with mine. You know, when you're talking just there, like I, I know, like I really know how much you get after it. I know you get around the house and doing the paving and the everything the list that you come home to and that you get on with is, is impressive i was going to say that some of some of my my favorite days like my best times i know that i'm not i'm not overly busy like i'm i'm not putting too many things in i'm taking like i'm getting to the gym i'm spending time with the kids and so on but i'm not like frantic in the moment do you know what i mean those days where you actually have time to sit and have a coffee for a bit yeah not, not on the couch. Yeah. I mean, put the reach for the remote at a, at a certain time in the evening, perhaps when you've done your stuff. But during the day, you know, take. I know that you do this. I know, like I know, we've all just heard you say you're chasing your son around the house. You've done seven miles <laughs> inside the house with your son. But I guard against those days when it's too busy. You know. Yeah, because um, I, I think I, I can't remember what article it was, man. But there was basically saying that there's no such thing. And it's funny. I just had this discussion at work when I was uh, with one of the crew members, uh, we were talking about multitasking and uh, he was basically trying to convince me. It, so the conversation, not to distract from what we're about talking about, but the conversation started because he was saying that, you know, he's able to have conversations while he's on his phone. And I said, that's not true. And he's like, yeah, I could totally have a conversation while I'm looking. And he's a younger guy. I just leave it at that. And I said, well, that's, it's, it's completely not true. He's like, no, I totally can. I'm like, no. It, I was like, there's literally studies by MIT and like these brilliant uh, societies and universities that will tell you that multitasking is a complete farce. It doesn't exist. You can do a lot of things like quickly one at a time, but you're not, you can't multitask. That's, you know, because I was basically on the side of it's rude if you have your phone and you're out in a bar with me, right? Like I'm going to slap that phone off your hand. Um, because, like a, you know, and, and if, 
what, what you've just said there, Raph, I know that that's true in all the in all the training that I've had, all the Air, Air Force training. That there is no one who does two things at once. People initiate sequences faster and faster and faster and closer and closer together. And with and to an outsider, it'll look like you're doing three, four things at once. But the person doing it knows he's doing, you know, maybe eight things that just happen one after another fast. You're initiating a radio right. call, initiating a turn, a climb, applying power, looking at the radar, all that stuff is happening. But it's, I know exactly what you're talking about. You're not yeah. actually doing two things at once. No, you're not. It's impossible. It's humanly possible unless, you know, you're on the spectrum and you're lacking other characteristics. But uh, anyways, all right. So what's your question? All what's right. your next what question? Is, what is your culinary speciality? If you have like, you're going to turn it on and you're going to, you're going to cook a dish. What are you going to cook? I would have to start with anything on the grill, specifically a steak, um, tri-tip to be more specific. Uh, I think I've kind of zeroed in on that. I, my, uh, my wife really likes my tri-tip and the way I grill it. Um, and I would always have to make, and not to be stereotypical here, man, but we. <laughs> Spit it out. I know what you're going to say. Yeah, we, we cut them up and make them into tacos. And they're so good. Like, they're so, so good. The Chaz's uh, burrito bread. The burrito breads. Yeah. And, and what's in the tri-tip tacos? What else is in there? Um, it's, so this is the thing. It's very, very simple. And that's what I love about it. So I usually just let it marinate with coconut oil. I get it into room temp. And then I just do like a kosher salt and I just kind of mash it into the meat. So it just kind of like melts into the meat and just let it sit there till it's room temp. And then I'll just cook it. I don't even know what the temperature is, but it's usually just low on the grill or whatever, you know, implementation of cooking it in. And it's like three minutes on each side ish. Sometimes like a little bit more. So I keep it medium rare. Um, and that's, that's literally what I do with the tri-tip steak. I mean, it's not that fancy. There's some other seasoning that I might do, but that's kind of my go-to and it's always just, man, it's so delicious. It's so tender. It's yeah. And, and is there no guacamole with this? Is there no guac? I was like certain. There's always guacamole, dude. There's always <laughs> a bowl of guacamole sitting with an arm's reach. And the only thing I'll say with that is, the biggest fallacy you can do with guacamole is put too much lime. People just <laughs> kill it with lime. It's just, it drives me insane. So if I'm at your house and you're making guac, ugh, just hold, just hold back on the lime. If I'll anyone leave, out there, I promise I'll is lucky enough to, to get Raph over for guac. He turns up with an, with an esky. We call it in Australia. You guys call it a cooler. He carries it in the house and he just starts unloading food in the, in the kitchen that he's come over to. And next thing, the knife is flying and there's the best guac you've ever had. <laughs> and we had it a lot at our house. So this is a true story. It's funny you mentioned the guac. So we had that barbecue last night at, with a neighbor's house, uh, one of the properties that's over. And I didn't show up with guacamole last night. So the kids... We're so disappointed. Well, the whole family was so disappointed. The family that hosted us and all the other neighbors that live up here on, on the mountain were so disappointed that I they kind of guilted me into making them a bowl of guac. So when you were trying to get a hold of me to do this podcast, I was actually at the store <laughs> getting ingredients for guacamole. And so when I'm done with this podcast, I'm actually making guacamole for my neighbors. So I don't know if they're listening to this podcast, but just so you know, your guac will be made after the end at the, the end of this podcast. The only surprising part of that was it was tri-tip. I was like, he's certainly going to say guac. 
that it was guac was already assumed in your mind. Yeah, yeah. Oh, always, always a bowl of guac. All right. So, so mine is uh, handmade pasta. So you get your 100 grams. So what's that? About three and a half ounces of uh, flour, and you got to get the right pasta flour, an egg, some olive oil, and a bit of salt and pepper. You make a little well on the table on the bench, and you crack the egg into it, and you you knead that stuff out and roll it, and then you get your your pasta roller, and you and you roll that out. Our neighbours when we were growing up, the Bonomo family. Shout out to the Bonomos in uh, Melbourne. There was about six kids, I think, and Mama. Mama Bonomo made a lot of pasta, <laughs> like fresh pasta every day <laughs> in the kitchen. And sometimes two little uh, little Aussie boys would come over and, and eat <laughs> at lunch and, and uh, we'd get in trouble. And we'd come home for our steak and two veg or our roast lamb and two veg with my mum and she'd, we should see pasta sauce all over our face. And we'd be like, we definitely did not eat pasta at the Bonomos. And so, and so since then, I, I like, I'll make a, that, that fresh pasta, it's super easy. And from having the flour on the bench and the egg intact, it's actually quicker to get that cooked than it is to cook packet pasta. Cause it just fresh pasta goes, it hits the water and just, it just cooks. And when you've cooked it, any sauce you cook on it, it just soaks it up. Like you will not have any liquid left on your plate. All of the sauce has gone into the pasta. So hmm. anyway, that's my, that's mine. What's your next question? Yeah, I was. I thought you were going to say it was going to be like potato whiskey or something. <laughs> your, your rich, you know, culture. Um, my next question for you is: You ready for this one? When was the last time you cried, and not because you were hurt, but just from something that you saw that you like was so stunning, so beautiful, and you're just so taken aback that you just. Like it doesn't have to be in public. Maybe it was in private. Maybe you sat in your car, you know, with your bumblebee shirt. Shout out, Mike. And uh, and just like you know, you tears just just fell. To be honest with you, um, when I was setting up the, we've got we've got an avenue of honor at the front of our uh, the entryway to our our village, and uh, the, the 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 guys I'm with have done this amazing job with setting these this up with massive big poppy for uh, Remembrance Day and uh, a lot of names and, and there's a lot of military people who live on this uh, village as you know raf and uh, there's a lot of people with family uh, history of, of service or friends have fallen and going down and reading those um, stories and uh, then taking in a few extra names actually was it was it was taking down uh, one of mike's very good friends and and getting his details put on and reading some of his backstory and watching a, a video that was very, very, and it was last night. I'm uh, not ashamed to say I cried while watching a video of this guy who died at 31 with his whole life ahead of him and making a difference, taking the fight to the enemy and saving countless uh, allied personnel. I, uh, yeah. That was me. It was last night. I was sitting in bed watching a, a movie about this guy, and uh, just just thinking about how do we uh, honor these these people and how do we live up to the how do we live up to the standard that they set is actually what I was thinking. Yeah, that's that's a yeah. That'll do it to anybody. Um, 
Yeah, mine is, uh, I can't remember. It, I mean, it was within a couple of weeks, obviously. I just got home a couple of weeks ago, but it was, you know, I, I'd seen, I'd been away for a couple of months. And when I got home, um, obviously just staring at my son, I was out, we, you know, we're just walking on the property and it was our, us and, and the fatties or two dogs. And um, it's like one of the moments where it's really, really challenging not to stop and pay gratitude for just everything that I, that I have, or just the things that I've been able to experience. But it started with, um, you know, it, I, we, I talked about my selection pro process and I, you know, prepared by walking long, long distances uh, with some weight on my back. And every time I did that, I would bring my dogs with me. And so they were always in front of the trail in front of me. And I would just see their bums bouncing up and down and it just would make me laugh, you know, and it's <laughs> when you're 20, 30 miles in, you know, you're pretty delirious. So uh, it's kind of funny to watch that. But anyways, I just, my, my, my mind was kind of jogging back in that direction. But at one point the dogs and Soren all kind of intersected and they were just kind of standing there and it just, and I just, I stared at my son and I just, I thought like just how absolutely just beautiful of a, of a little person he is, you know, and it's obviously he's, my son so of course i'm gonna feel that way but it's but it's not just him it's like just all children right like it's just it's it's uh you think of it, not to get into the religious part of it but you just think about god's creations and just how perfect even when we're imperfect how perfect we are and how much detail and science and magic and whatever else you want to call it that goes into it i mean just to look at their fingers and look at their eyes and look at his hair and just and you really start to examine the littlest things and how complex it is and it's just to not be stunned or not just be thrown back by that it's just you you're overlooking um the importance of this whole thing and yeah i just i found like i literally found myself lost my thoughts and I, when i kind of came back um i had tears and i just you know just because the whole thing was just just beautiful it's it's amazing to think that the atoms you know, that are making up those little fingers and little fingernails and little eyelashes and stuff. Those atoms are created in stars. Right. Yeah, there's an astrophysicist that did a, a podcast with, or actually he's done it a couple of times with Joe Rogan. I think his, his name is, um, his last name is Cox. I want to say his first name is Chris. Uh, and he talks, talks about that, you know, how literally we're all made of stardust, which is, you know, it sounds cool. It sounds like, name of a song or something yeah. or even lyrics to a song but i mean it's just it's fact it's yeah, pretty amazing yeah, yeah. is that the british bbc guy yeah 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 it's yeah, exactly yeah, who awesome. it is he's awesome yeah all right i got one for you what was the last thing that you did for the first time hmm man that's a good one last thing i did for the first time i'd like to say that was swearing but that's I would be lying to you, so I'm not going to. Hey, you think about it. I'll, I'll tell you mine. Mine was uh, the five and a half months apart from the family. Like I've not been away from my wife and, and children. I've been away from the wife. But since the kids have been around, I've not had a, a trip that, that long, like that duration apart and that uncertainty and the swirl of it and everything. And so that was, that was for me, that was like a, like a new experience to have being on my own for that extended period. And I know that there's a lot of people out there going through uh, much harder times than, than I did, but 
that was something new for me. I wasn't, I wasn't away with my mates on a deployment, sharing an experience with guys and um, looking forward to coming home. I was sort of stuck here and coming home to an empty villa for, uh, you know, like 170 days or so. Man, that's a tough, I, I really, I'm drawing a blank there, man. All right. Well, I'll give you another one then. What was your favorite subject at school? Oh, that, that was easy. Uh, history or any sort of political science. I, I, I've always been fascinated by history, um, obviously because it shaped the path that you're currently in or um, maybe the way things turned out. I mean, I've always, always have been fascinated by not just American history, but just world history, right? Yeah. Just what to was understand the history, the way. What was the teacher? What was the history teacher that really lit the flame? <laughs> Yeah, uh, his name was uh, Dr. Larry. Oh, what was his last name? I could picture his face too. He was yeah. the coach for the academic decathlon team. Oh, what was his last name? Dr. Larry. Shoot. Which which year level did he teach you history? Uh, well, he did all of them, but I had uh, I had him for my I had him twice, and I think my junior year actually he I got in trouble. Oh man, I'm almost embarrassed to talk about this, but. <laughs> um, Oh man, I, it's going to drive me nuts that I can't think of his last name. He was a really, really dedicated teacher. I mean, he was amazing and he really like was thought provoking and he moved you and he really, you know, tried to get you to think and um, his classes were so fascinating, but I'll never forget. And I felt so small because I couldn't believe how mad he was at me, but we were talking about World War II and he talked about how the Blitzkrieg that uh, went into Poland to defeat the Polish and he was basically trying to highlight how brave the Poles were because they were basically on horseback with, with like spears or something. If I remember, it was just, it was very rudimentary uh, weapons of warfare. And the Germans, of course, were coming in with tanks and the Luftwaffe and, you know, you know, artillery. And they were just, they were giving them the business. And so he's trying to describe this, the scene in this battle. Uh, and I forgot what it was called, but it was basically just the Blitzkrieg that they did on the Poles. And I started to laugh. And he stopped and he goes, why are you laughing? And I remembered to this day, I said, I was like, well, that's just, I was like, that's stupid. I was like, why did they stand toe to toe against armored divisions from the, I was like, why don't you go into guerrilla warfare? And he just took it as I was laughing because the, because the Germans had slaughtered the Poles, but I didn't have enough time to explain myself. And he literally just kicked me out of the room. He's like, and he basically like looked at me with disgust. He's like, leave the room. And I'm like, oh. So I left and of course I got sent to the principal's office um, and I felt so small and I, I came back and I apologized. And he, and he basically was just like, you do understand why you, why I kicked you out of the room. And I was like, yeah, but I wasn't, you know, I had to explain, I was like, I wasn't laughing because people were slaughtered. I was just, I couldn't believe, how, you know, yeah, you're why, why, why you like, there, there's no honor in sacrificing yourself if you don't have a chance to win, like at least try to make an effort to win. That was what I was trying to get at. Like, okay, I got it. They have tanks. So maybe go into guerrilla warfare, hide in potholes or hide behind something, wait till they pass through explode. Like it just, there's just other things you could do instead of just holding a line with horses and spears and just watching your mates get slaughtered for, for nothing. Like it just, you know, at least try to win. Don't just, like, there's no honor in that. I had a really, really good history teacher when I was uh, 13 and turning 14 and his name was Lenny Burrows. He was this old English guy. 
<laughs> and he was he was awesome. He the, the, the year that he had me, he was supposed that was you were supposed to do Roman history until like the Industrial Revolution, <laughs> and like he loved the Romans. So six months into the year, we're still doing the Romans. And then we did we did the Vikings for like three months, and then he he did like a thousand years of history in like the last month of the year. <laughs> oh, Doctor Larry Jones, shout out Larry Jones. There you go, Larry yeah. Jones and Lenny Burrows. So Lenny Burrows, yeah, I remember he, he when he got to uh, World War One. I, I think we finished. He brought in a bayonet, like a World War One bayonet, and he got me to stand up, and he was like, "You're representative of the average size of a guy on the." the front line and the trenches and the Western front. And he got me to put my arm out a little bit to the side and he pushed the bayonet through with me standing there. You could see that that thing went like six inches out my back. A big old thing on the end of those uh, rifles back in the day, you know, not like the little bayonets we have now. Yeah. But uh... all right. Your question. What is, uh, I don't know if I've asked you this before, what's your biggest fear? That's a good question. And um, my biggest fear has got to be around letting my family down, you know, not, um, not manifesting my best self and not, not leaving a legacy that is something that I'm proud of is probably my biggest fear. And, um, like I, it might that really motivates me, you know, when I, when I'm when I mess up, especially with the family, I really like that is a, a thing that cuts me very deeply, and I take that very seriously. Um, to really share myself with the kids, to not to, you know like the the finances and those other things are important, you know, but to leave a legacy of of love and that as you were saying earlier, you know, that reference back to that early episode on the healthy masculinity, showing, showing their children that, that, you know, they get cuddles and kisses and we talk about their day and we work through what was the best thing and that they have access to me and they know that I'm consistent across time. I don't have angry days and, and you know, good days and bad days and, you know, getting hot and cold and it, and when I do mess up to go and clean it up as fast as I can and to continue to take responsibility when I've had a bad, an off day so they know that that, that off day, I'm, I'm not making them pretend it didn't happen. Like I'm taking responsibility for it for a, for a long time afterwards so they know, hey, dad's had a bad day here, but he's, he's really uh, making up for it. He's really carrying the can. So I, honestly, I reckon my biggest fear is a, a legacy that I'm I'm not proud of, specifically around my children, and so I really put a lot of effort and um, a lot of my day is focused on that. How about you, man? Listeners are so bored right now. Very similar. <laughs> <laughs> um, but to, but to be more specific, um, so I've got this laundry list, and I'm sure everybody has their to do list. Um, some of it I make public, some of it I keep internal. And the internal laundry list that I have, I want it, I want to finish it before I die, right? So, and I'll just put some out publicly. Like I've been tossing around the idea of writing a kid's book for my son and hopefully more kids in the future. Um, 
and I've just, and I haven't really gotten the first step, but I'm doing it deliberately right now as a forcing function, right? Because I, I want that. Uh, it'll be in Spanish. So uh, if you don't read Spanish, you're screwed. I'm just kidding. Uh, probably bilingual. Um, Do one in I, each. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the other one is the roasting company, the coffee company. I really, really, you know, I don't want to be the next Starbucks, but I, I just love coffee so much that I would just, I love the experience. I just, I just love, I romanticize with the idea of going through the experience of roasting our beans in our barn, you know, hundred feet away with, with Soren next to me and the fatties and just, I, I envision that and I, and I want it to be real. Right. So that's another big internal check uh, to do list. And I, I want to get that off the ground before I pass. Uh, Cause it would just be so cool if it actually became, if it became one successful, but like, you know, something I can pass on to my kids. Um, and then the other one is, and kind of along the lines is because everybody knows that marriage and, and relationships are a work in progress. But, you know, I think that when I take my last breath, I'd like to think that my wife is going to be there and that not so much that she's going to cry and, you know, not that she's going to cry because I'm, I'm passing, but more like, like, I, I want that, that look from her that says you did it, you know, like against all odds, we somehow fucking managed to, you know, all the trials and I'm trying not to cry, but I, like, you know what I mean? Like all the obstacles where we thought we were for sure heading to a divorce and like we, we managed to overcome all that, you know? And I, and I, it would be nice to know that, you know, we managed to put in the effort and, and on my dying bed, it's, she gives me that reassurance that, that we did it, that we've arrived at that destination. When I was when I was young, Raf, I don't I, I know we don't talk about religion that much, but I was from a pretty religious family, and my dad used to talk a bit about like it was like it was in capitals the the de a death of Joseph, and it's not really talked about in the Bible, right? But that's the father, and when he passed away, is not mentioned, and by default, it's assumed it happened before JC got out and and started doing his preaching, and so when he passed, his wife was there, healthy. His son was there healthy and flourishing as a carpenter, you know, in the father's trade and all that sort of stuff. And that that was referred to as like a blessing to have that kind of an ending in your life that your loved ones are with you. So there's something there. I agree with that. Hey, a couple of quick ones to finish. I know we don't want to hold people up. How about um, what was the first concert you attended? Oh, dude, that's easy. So I used to be a little, I used to be big into punk music. Uh, pink uh, <laughs> punk was very big in Southern California, not pink, but I mean, pink has some good, I think she's a good lyricist. Um, but anyway, he's punk music. And specifically my first concert was with my buddy, John house, who uh, I spoke about him briefly. He, he passed in Iraq, unfortunately back, back in 05. Uh, but anyways, it was him. It was my buddy Elliot and a couple of the friends. Um, I think we were like 15 years old and we went to, it was somewhere down in San Diego or, LA maybe and it was a band called Pennywise and Pennywise for I've any seen Pennywise live how funny is oh that? have you really yeah I have I saw them in Melbourne and they have yeah, big, day out, big day out concert one of those places with multiple stages and they're playing at the back I was stoked yeah, yeah so it was Pennywise dude and uh, it was like Killjoy and I forgot the third band but it was my first yeah, it was my first concert it was awesome 
So my first concert was uh, with uh, an army mate, Benny Blair. He's still in Melbourne. Shout out to Benny and my brother, Hugh. We went and saw ACDC <laughs> at the Tennis Centre in Melbourne with the roof closed. And uh, I think like 25, 30,000 people in an indoor venue with those guys on stage. That was, that was pretty memorable. Yeah. And uh, how about the dumbest thing you've ever done on a dare or due to peer pressure? The dumbest thing. Oh, so many, man. Do you want me to go with my dumbest first? What do you think? What do you filter? Yeah, go ahead. Because I'm, right. I'm, I'm literally going through the Rolodex of <laughs> crap I've done. What so do when I, I was expose? When I was 18, I was with my army mates. We're in, we're in Queensland and uh, we went down to the Gold Coast. And on the way back, we went past a place called Cable Ski World. And they had, you could go surfing and skiing and all sorts. And they had a, they had a crane and the guys saw it and they're like, let's go bungee jumping. And this thing was like, I don't know, 150 feet. And it, and it looks kind of rickety. It was like a metal crane up in the air and you went up and down. It slid up like a lift on an angle and you then went bungee jumping on a really short bungee above a pool of water. And I was like, this is a terrible idea. Like the state of this is not good. So I went and I jumped because my mates were there. And, you know, <laughs> thank God left. The next week, the lift fell on top of a dude and died in the lake. And I was like... I, every, every cell in my body was telling me that that was a, a stupid idea. And I only did it because my mates were there. You know, that's, it just reminded me the first time I ever went to Bali, Indonesia, which is in your neck of, wood, neck of the woods. Um, there was a, a, a bar called the Bounty. It was like a, a wooden ship and they had, it was either the Bounty or it was like next door to the Bounty. But I remember they had a bungee system that like would bungee people in, into the pool and the day that I arrived in Bali, this was like, I was, we, my roommate and I, Krista, shout out to Krista if you're still there, and this dude, Alan Block, we all, the three of us, um, went to Bali for New Year's, y, you know, Y2K, like 99, yeah, yeah, and yeah. 2000. And uh, anyways, the day that we arrived, it, uh, this bungee thing collapsed and killed somebody. And I think I, we're, but it was operational like the next day. And I think I paid to bungee jump like that next day or whatever, whatever it was. And, but I was, I got so drunk that I never, I never made my time. <laughs> I never made my time, but it was pretty, yeah. It's just, that's what you do when you're 19. You just think you're invincible, but I just, just to finish up my, my dumb thing. Um, so when I was about 17, maybe I just turned 18. I was still in high school uh, myself and a good buddy of mine named Matt Oney. Shout out to Matt if you're listening. Uh, we and John, again, John House uh, was was one of us. We had just surfed um, this beach called California Street. We just call it C Street. Um, it's in Ventura, and the uh, the pier in Ventura had just burned down. I think like the previous year, and they had just rebuilt it. And so this morning, Saturday morning, we're we're surfing fresh, you know, fresh little mor morning sesh, and so we we get out of the water. And we're obviously we noticed that the pier is already it's operational. Every like there's families and people are checking it out, and it's kind of packed because everyone's checking out the new pier. And it's you know a bunch of little bum kids, uh, kind of in our wetsuits and our boards, and we start walking towards the pier. And as we're walking to the pier, Matt only goes, "You know, it'd be really funny is if we jumped out of this thing naked, off this thing naked." And I didn't say anything. I just was part of the conversation. And we were talking about, you know, whatever 17-year-old kids talk about. So we get to the end of the pier 
and it's probably, I don't know, I don't know how far off the shore it is, but it's, it's a pretty long sized pier. Without any hesitation, I just put my board down. I take off my wetsuit. Obviously, I'm completely nude underneath the wetsuit. I'm, I'm completely stark naked, and there's easily two to 300 people on this pier. I mean, we're talking children. We're like, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a good show. Um, and I crawl over the, uh, the little barrier, and, I, and, I, and, I, and right before I get the jump, my buddy John did the same thing, and I think so did Elliot, if I remember correctly. So I inspired two other boneheads, and we all, but I was the only one that was completely naked. They stayed in their wetsuits, and we jumped off. And as I'm jumping, I can hear like grown men just laughing hysterically because there's this half naked, or not half naked, fully naked Mexican kid jumping off a pier. And then, of course, uh, I swam back. Uh, and luckily, my friend Matt Oni, I mean, he's in tears. He's laughing so hard, and he's got my clothes. and. So I have to come out of the water to get my clothes on. <laughs> Back up on the pier? Uh, no, no, no. In the sand. I swam onto the beach. Um, but anyways, the reason it's completely stupid, one, no one wanted to see me naked. Two, you could get arrested. And it's like a, like a $5,000 fine. And I didn't know that until after the fact. And I just thought, that is stupid. That, I mean, that was, it was funny, but it was just, I probably should have been caught just to learn my lesson, but. It was pretty wow. dumb. And it was completely, it wasn't like I was even dared. It was just Matt Oni just mentioned it. And I just thought that would be kind of funny. And I just, I jumped off the pier. Well, that is a horrendous <laughs> mental image to leave everyone with. <laughs> <laughs> and the other two dudes didn't even uh, follow suit. No, I, I think, I remember John saying he thought about doing it, but he didn't want to look let go of the railing because it would like he had already crawled over the other side of the railing and he just he said it would have been tough to take his wetsuit off while he's holding on to the railing so i was already i was already al fresco so it was easier for me i had a lot more range of motion right. i had no restriction from wetsuits okay. yeah from wetties stop. is that what you guys stop call already. it <laughs> stop make him stop all right so uh a q a session between uh raf and melon uh we're obviously thinking of um, many people at the moment who are, who are doing it tough and, and we're, we're sending out our best wishes to uh, Mike up with his family yeah. there and his gram. And uh, we know that they'll listen to this with, with all of you guys when it drops. So a shout out to them. And uh, from Raf and I, out to you guys, you know, if you've got questions you want us to, <laughs> to answer, send them in. Like we'll, we'll, we'll get to those suckers and we'll ask each other. So email me, don't email him and I'll ask him your questions. Right. <laughs> so from all of us to all of you have a great week and we'll see you next time